Well, welcome to Tampa. Hey, thank you for welcoming me. I've been welcoming the best fashion. When I came through the door, the whole building was right there cheering me on. I was shaking their hands like I was going down Tiger Walk. It was Buck Walk all over again. Buck Walk, baby. New lingo from Devin White, the first-round pick for your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the fifth overall selection for your Bucks. just part of our one-on-one that we'll have in this edition of A Few Extra Bucks. I welcome in our esteemed producer, Justin Thomas. Are you here? I'm here. And Roy Cummings, my partner, our Buccaneer insider, are you here? I am here, man. Last time we talked to you guys, you were, uh, you know, fighting over Peter Gabriel and <laughs> Phil Collins. We'll get to that stuff in a little bit later. But uh, let's first talk about this Bucks draft. Uh, you know, I like, you know, <laughs> people give letter grades for drafts, which is preposterous. People are doing mock drafts for 2020. But just kind of your overview, how do you feel about this draft, Roy? You're right. It's preposterous to put to put letter grades on it, but everybody wants to do that because, you, you know, look, drafts are not about really, I mean, for the most part, they're about three years down the road. That's the best time to really grade a draft is, you know, at least three years down the road that the players really work out. Um, everybody wants to do it immediately three minutes after the draft is over. They want to grade on it. Uh, so you see everything from A's to C's to F's. So uh, with the Buccaneers, and I, I, I have. I've seen everything from A's to C's to F's, and I've seen all those grades from um, what I would consider to be reputable uh, followers in the NFL, uh, you know, scribes around the NFL. Um, some are scouts. Some are, you know, just guys writing uh, what they think they know about a team. Look, uh, what I think about the draft is the Bucks had to basically address a lot of issues uh, on the defensive side of the ball, and they did that. Um, they clearly had to upgrade themselves or uh, replenish themselves, really, at linebacker. They did it. They, they needed help at cornerback. Nobody can deny that. They did it. Um, they had to create uh, or fill a spot on the receiving core after losing Adam Humphreys. They did it. Um, and you know what? Everybody's uh, scratching their heads, kicking tires, and upset about things about, you know, uh, they, they needed a kicker. And they got one. They got the best kicker in this draft. Um, and again, once again, they got the best kicker, you know, and arguably in, in college football. So they went out and got what they needed. How does it all work out? That's what uh, games are for. So we'll see. Uh, we'll start to get the answers to that in, uh, in August and September. Um, but as of right now, look, I think they went out and did what they had to do, uh, considering the, the changes that they've made with coaching staff. You uh, set it up very nicely. Seven picks for your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but only one on the offensive side of the ball. Scott Miller, wide receiver, Bowling Green, you have your kicker. Uh, my, my main question, and I think concern, Roy, is you have, once again, cornerbacks in the second round, a cornerback in the third round. You had two cornerbacks last year in the second round. What does that mean for MJ Stewart and Carlton Davis? Uh, are, are these guys just obsolete now, or what does this mean? I don't think they're obsolete. First of all, I'm going to throw a, st a stat out to you guys. Last year, the defensive backs of the Buccaneers drafted combined for they, – they, they had zero picks, guys. They had zero picks. And, and, and all the games they started together amassed to about 40 games, and they had zero picks. So and Justin had as many picks as the Bucs secondary last year. Exactly. Okay. Now, I have a chance. That's, so that's one, that's one part that, to keep in mind is that there wasn't a whole lot of production out of those guys. I didn't think there would be. 
I really didn't. I, I thought a lot, those guys were coming in, and I thought, look, one of the most difficult positions in the NFL to learn and, and be uh, effective at immediately is cornerback. It, it, it ranks right after quarterback and probably left tackle is the most difficult position in the NFL to come in as a rookie and make an impact. It's very, very hard. I wouldn't expect any of these guys that are drafted this week, to, this, this just past week, to, to really come in and make a great impact, even, even though one or more of them may start. Um, here's the thing, guys. The Buccaneers, and I've said this thousands of times, and anybody who's listened to me, whether it was on News Channel 8 back in the day, read me in the Tampa Tribune, listened to me on the radio, this podcast, take your pick. I have said this thousands of times. Be careful what you ask for when you ask for a coach to be fired. Because when a coach gets fired, when you change coaches, you change schemes. And when you change schemes, you change players. And what the Buccaneers did when they fired Mike Smith, and they fired Dirk Cutter, and they brought in Bruce Arians and made Todd Bowles their new defensive coordinator, they are changing schemes. They're not tweaking a scheme. They're not tweaking a 4-3, one-gap scheme, zone zone scheme that they've played before. They are changing from a 4-3, one-gap zone scheme to a 3-4, one-gap press corner scheme. That requires a completely different style caliber of player from the defensive line back. All the people that are screaming and yelling about not going out and getting defensive ends. I understand that the Bucs don't have the best defensive line talent in the NFL, although they, they did have a, a Pro Bowl caliber play in, player in Jason Pierre-Paul, what I still think is a Pro Bowl caliber defensive tackle in uh, Gerald McCoy, uh, a kid who seems to have turned the corner in Carl Nassib. I think they've got some ability there, okay? It's an area that probably needed some tweaking, uh, needed some upgrades, and they actually got one. But from the from linebacker back, everything is different. Everything is different. You're not you're no longer running three linebackers. You're now running four most of the time. The safeties and corners are now playing press man, which means that the safeties are going to be out there on an island by themselves. They're not just playing zone schemes anymore. So everything is different. And what has to happen in that new scheme is you have to get players who fit that scheme. The players the Buccaneers drafted last year and the year before and the year before that were all drafted to play in a 4-3 zone scheme. The players they started drafting this year were drafted to play in a 3-4 man press scheme. Completely different rules, completely different keys, completely different assignments, and you have to have players who fit that scheme. That's what this was all about. That's why you basically sort of kind of ball it up toss it in the trash can, and start over. This is a complete rework of the defense, and and the rework includes new players. But, boy, when you start over, what do you say to the people who say last year's second-round picks are just a waste? Well, you hope that they're not because – and, look, guys are going to get cut. That's going to happen. But they have an opportunity to – you know, how versatile are some of these guys? How versatile is MJ Stewart? How, how versatile is is Carlton Davis? I think they're versatile enough to play. Carlton Davis, remember, when he was brought in, there was a lot of talk. Everybody's a lot of excited about him because he basically was play, he was a press man corner in college, and people wondered as the season went on, well, why is why is he playing off corner? Well, because that's what the scheme asked for. I, I think he's going to be okay. It's just like we're we're hearing a lot. We've talked about this a little bit too 
a lot of people think Noah Spence is going to be a better fit in this particular scheme, this 3-4 scheme, because that's what he played in college. That's where he excelled as a stand-up outside linebacker type uh, rushing off the edge. I think he's got a chance to really get back to what he was doing so effectively in college now that he's in this different 3-4 scheme that we're playing here in Tampa under Todd Bowles. So the answer to your question is, this doesn't mean that those guys are gone, that they don't fit the, fit the system. But in case they don't, you had to go get players who you know do. And that's why the Bucks drafted the players they drafted in the secondary. Boy, if it doesn't work out, that's just a crusher, though. You, you trade down, you get Vita Vea, and you get some more picks in the second round. And if MJ Stewart and Carlton Davis don't work out, that's just another – in a series of bad drafts for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's talk about the running back position. You look at this draft, no running backs were drafted. You have Peyton Barber and you have Ronald Jones. What do you think about these running backs heading into next season? After free agency, they didn't get a running back. and the draft, they didn't get a running back. And that's a huge need for this team, apparently. Looking at last year's play, Roy. Yeah, looking at last year's play, I would say the running back is an area of need, except it was hard to really rate uh, grade the running backs last year because how often did they really get a chance to run beyond the, the line of scrimmage? The play of the offensive line in terms of run blocking was so poor last year that we never really got a chance to see what Ronald Jones could do, what Peyton Barber could do. Um, it was really a tough year for the running backs. Uh, they never had a chance to really get going. I mean, these guys were hit repeatedly behind the line of scrimmage. And Ronald Jones in particular. Uh, and again, I, I've talked before about some of the issues with Ronald Jones, and we can get into that a little bit deeper. Um, you know, the Buccaneers were a little bit disappointed in Ronald Jones. Obviously, they were disappointed in his pr- production. But the part of the reason for his lack of production was he came out of college, and it turns out that he didn't quite have the leg strength um, that he needed. This is, uh, you know, what I'm hearing from inside the Buccaneers camp is that hmm. he didn't quite have the leg strength to break through tackles and to fight off those first hits deep inside the backfield. The reason he didn't, you know, kind of shake off some of those first hits, uh, that, that, that first contact that, he, that was made with him, is he just didn't have the leg power to do it. Um, he's on a program now, has been for a little more than a year, uh, well, a little less than a year, I would say, um, but he's on a program now to build that leg strength up. And the Buccaneers like what they're seeing of him so far. So this is one of the reasons that they didn't do a whole lot in terms – I mean, they're, they're going to pick one up. They picked up a couple as far as we can see uh, from the uh, the undrafted group. They're, they're going to have a running back there. And there's still other bodies out there that they'll they'll look at. I, I think they'll have another body or two at running back before, the, before training camp starts. But in terms of having exactly – you know, these running backs – uh, it was hard to evaluate them last year, very hard, uh, because they didn't get a chance to really get going. Uh, I think there's going to be other, you know, if the line plays better, the running backs should play better. And I think that the hope is that that's going to be the case here in Tampa, is that as the season goes on, the running game is going to be better because the line play is going to be better because, you know, obviously the Bucks believe that they can do a few different things with the new coaches. So we'll see if it happens. Um, but obviously they must believe in the talent up front uh, in the trenches on offense because they didn't really address that either. Boy, oh boy, so many holes in this team. You thought the offensive line was revamped last year. You get Ryan Jensen, you move Ali Marpet back to guard, and it's still just so many question marks in this football team. We mentioned Peyton Barber. You know, one thing you can say about Jason Light, he's done well with rookie free agents from Peyton Barber to Adam Humphreys to Cam Brait. He was asked 
after the draft was over, why is he getting more hits with rookie free agents than in the actual draft itself? Here's what he had to say. Good question, because a lot of those players that we sign and we give you know, those sign bonus money too, they kind of came from the same pool as those late draftable guys. So, you know, you draft guys that are off your board, obviously, and the guys that we sign and we go after hard are still on our draft board. So um, for whatever reason, maybe I should have drafted the guys that we signed as free agents and signed the guys that we drafted. It's They're they're basically this close to each other on the draft board. What do you think of that? Um, well, he's absolutely right about, about that. I, I know for a fact that um, – you get down into the sixth and seventh round and the, the argument becomes, you know, how likely is this guy to get to, to, to the undrafted free agency phase? Can, can we get him there and not waste a pick? You know, and, and a lot of that is trying to guess what other teams are going to do um, because you really, you know, you obviously like, you know, you probably go into a draft liking 35 players, hoping you can get, you know, half that many. And there are certain guys that you absolutely project as uh, undrafted free agents uh, that you want. You, you hope they get there, and when they do, uh, he's right. A, a lot of, look, it, the draft, as it, as, you, as it goes on, is a crapshoot more and more. And, you know, so it looks like the Bucks, and they have. They've been fairly successful in picking up undrafted free agents. Adam Humphreys, Cameron Brait, um, you know, come from that group, obviously. So, um, you know, that's just two. Uh, DeMar Dotson was one of those guys, if you go back a few years. Um, you know, these are guys who have made it, um, Peyton Barber, you know, so, I mean, these are guys who, who can play in the league. The thing is they're, they're all capable, but, um, you know, a lot of it, I think comes from will want to desire, you know, most of the players drafted have the ability to play in the NFL. Um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be in the mix if they didn't. And I've heard several general managers tell me that when it comes down to making it in the NFL, it's really not a matter of, you know, do you have the size, the speed, the talent, uh, the skill set, the work ethic, uh, although it is somewhat somewhat work ethic, because it's not a matter of really the measurables or the talent. It's a matter of what you can't measure. How how hard do you want it? How hard are you willing to work? And how devoted are you to to making, making this opportunity happen for you? I seem I tend to think that sometimes with a lot of the unrestricted or undrafted free agents, they just wanted so much more and they go out there and they, you know, they bust their can and, you know, it starts with making somebody take notice of you and they take notice of you. And here's the thing. A lot of these guys didn't come become players, the players that they are for a couple of years, Adam Humphreys, you know, it was a steady progression. Uh, DeMar Dotson, it took him about four years before he became a starting caliber player uh, you know, there were times when the Bucks uh, looked like he might even be cut uh, before he made it. Um, you know, Peyton Barber uh, spent pretty much a year, you know, on the sidelines uh, doing a whole lot of nothing. Cameron Brake uh, bounced around a couple of different teams, not playing at all uh, before he made it. So uh, they don't get as much attention. And when they suddenly make it, everybody goes, oh, by the way, he was never drafted. And boy, what, is, what a find that is. Uh, usually drafted players don't get the same uh, you don't, you're not as patient with them because you're expecting more out of them, fans and coach and teams as well. Well, you mentioned Hart. First-round pick Devin White seems to have a lot of heart. We'll get to my one-on-one interview with him in just a second. But, you know, Rob, we look at this rookie class. The sixth pick was the first offensive rookie taken on in this draft, Scott Miller, wide receiver, Bowling Green. Uh, you, you have some interest in him, don't you? 
I do. I, I like the pick. Um, and one thing, I, I think a lot of fans are under the belief that Scott Miller is going to step in as Adam Humphrey's uh, replacement as a slot receiver. That's not the that's not the game plan. The game plan, guys, is for Chris Godwin to move into the slot. Scott Miller is going to be an outside receiver. They're going to take advantage of his speed. This is a guy who has run 4.48, 4.340s uh, at pro days and, and the combine. This kid can, can burn. So uh, he's going to be an outside receiver. Uh, I know as soon as he was taken, everybody thought that uh, this kid was going to be the replacement for Adam Humphreys. That's not the case. Uh, talking to people on the inside at One Buccaneer Place, um, he, he is going to work on the outside as a compliment to Mike Evans. And that's going to allow Chris Godwin to move into the slots. Chris Godwin is your new slot receiver. That's why, and that was that plan was there all along. That's why the Buccaneers didn't feel that bad about losing Adam Humphreys because uh, he wasn't the guy they had to replace necessarily. They've got that replacement, they think, in Chris Godwin. Which again, you know what? Just kind of goes back and shows you when Chris Godwin was was drafted. You know, the 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 plan at that time was for him to be a slot receiver. Well, Adam Humphreys kind of just forced him to the outside. Because Chris Godwin, they always saw as his best spot is going to be slot receiver. He just kind of had to wait for that spot to open up. Now it has, and he'll fill it. Let's see if he fills it as well as Adam Humphreys. You know, that may not happen. But it's good to know that Chris Godwin can go back outside if he can't fill it. But that was, that's what he was primarily drafted for. And now Scott Miller was drafted uh, as an outside uh, receiver. So I, I really like the receiving core. And, again, the way the Bucs handle this draft in terms of what happens on offense just kind of backs up what we saw last year. I mean, the, the offense didn't have, it wasn't the offense's fault that this team went five and 11. This team went five and 11 because it had the worst defense in the history of the NFL. Okay. Uh, the offense was pretty darn good and uh, a record setting offense. And um, there's plenty of talent there. As Bruce Arian said, you're not going to st- step into too many huddles uh, as a quarterback, like Jameis Winston be surrounded by that much talent. Granted, the offensive line needs to play better. This team wasn't hurting that much on offense. That's why they didn't do a whole lot with it in this draft. They need to fix the defense, uh, and that's where the focus was. This was the first draft for Jason Light and Bruce Arians to work together with the Tampa Bay Bucks, anyway. And he was asked, Jason Light, how that worked out. It was awesome. It was great. This whole process with him has been fantastic. Um, you know, we, we have our arguments, um, and but with Bruce, even the arguments are fun. So... Um, you know, sometimes we take them off site and, uh, you know, we settle them there. And, uh, Bruce is just, uh, you can see why people just follow him as coaches. He's, uh, he's a fantastic guy. It's fun to go head to head against him. You know what I really like about Bruce Arians? Well, a lot of things, but one thing that really sticks out is just the mindset that you didn't have with Dirk Cutter. You didn't have with Lovey Smith. He didn't have with Greg Schiano. He didn't have with Raheem Morris. Obviously, he's a proven winner in this league, but he seems to have that confidence no matter what is going on, no matter even in this offseason where there's all kinds of question marks. I know he's been kind of up and down with Gerald McCoy, to say the least, but he seems to kind of have that confidence that things are going to be okay. And that has to rub off not only on the players, but the front office as well. Why? Yeah, you're right. Um, look, I, I really like – Look, I've always liked Bruce Arians as a, as a coach. You're right, and I've said it before. He's a, he's a proven NFL head football coach with some success uh, on his resume. Um, and look, you know, here's the other thing. You know, fans are upset. They're they're wondering what the heck's going on with his football team. Why are we drafting this guy? Why are we drafting that guy? He had a pretty good answer for all that. And, and a lot of it, you know, goes along the lines of what I've already said here is that this is a completely different 
scheme that we're going to be playing here, and and that's why we've got to do it. But you're right. I mean, he is so blunt and honest, more so than even Dirk Cutter, because Dirk, you know, Dirk was blunt and honest. Yeah. Um, but but he seemed to have an edge for the media, whereas I think Bruce Arians kind of gets the whole media thing and and plays along. But when you start attacking him, he fights back a little bit and says, "Look, just just wait and see. All right, this is going to be fine." So yeah, I, I think there is a lot of confidence coming out of him. Uh, you you listen to his comments, uh, you know, during the press conferences, and he says, uh, "You know, look, just just give us a chance here. We'll we'll show you. It's going to work. I promise you, it's going to work." Uh, you, you know, you just you just need to have some patience here and uh, believe in our system because everybody else believes in it because we've run it before and it works and we know it's going to work. So, yeah, he brings a lot of confidence, and I like that confidence. Well, he was very confident about Devin White. It seems like they might made up their minds weeks ago, maybe months ago, about Devin White. Uh, initially, before we get to the sound, let's talk about Devin White. Uh, you know, Justin is the only one of the three of us that – Predicted Devin White. I think you and I were kind of going outside the box a little bit last week, but Justin, I give you credit for that, by the way. Thank you. There you go. But Devin White, to me, is maybe one of the safest picks in this draft because I feel like I, I know what I'm going to get with Devin White for the most part, Roy. And I can't say that about a quarterback. I can't say that about a guy like Josh Allen. But Devin White, there's something about him. I just feel like I know what I'm going to get with that player more than a lot of guys. <laughs> I'm so with you. And what's wrong with that? You know, think about – here's one of the problems fans have when it comes to the NFL draft is that they all kind of treat it as if it's like a fantasy league draft. First of all, everything is about this year, uh, number yeah. one, which it isn't. It's about the future more than it is about this year. And that, you know but, – but one thing that you would hope is – I mean, when you draft – when you draft a quarterback or whatever position – you know, running back, I mean, you when you draft, especially in the early rounds of a fantasy draft – you're drafting players based on, well, I know I'm going to get this out of this guy. I know for a fact that, you know, Tom Brady's going to throw, you know, 40 touchdown passes and for, you know, 3,000 plus yards. I know I'm going to get that. So I'm solid there. Well, that's what the Buccaneers got, as you just said, uh, with, with Devin White. They know exactly what they're going to get. They also know that he's absolutely going to step in right away and be their middle linebacker, be the quarterback of their defense. And the hope is that, after a pretty good rookie season where they'd love it if he won rookie of the year and went to the Pro Bowl and everything else, he's probably going to turn into a Pro Bowl and all-pro caliber player within about two to three years and then hopefully continue to play at that level for the next five to eight to ten years. So that's what you're getting out of this guy. And, and nobody, uh, no draft analyst, no scout denies that. And that's something that this defense needed after losing Quan Alexander because – Levante David is not that player. Kendall Beckwith is not that player. Uh, Riley Bullock, who just got cut, is not that player. Uh, they needed that player for this scheme, and he fits the scheme, and he, he's a leader type and a guy who's, who, yes, you know exactly what you're going to get on him on the field, off the field, uh, every Sunday, every down, and that's, that's it's not safe. It's smart. That's a smart pick. And he's a leader. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he went to a big-time school at LSU, was captain his sophomore year. And my one-on-one, -on -one, I asked him about the Bucks defense. What do you know about this Bucks defense coming in now? I know, man, I, I asked a lot of questions about the Bucks defense when I was on my top 30 visit. And I know we just got a few missing uh, links to the chain. And I know we just got a, a huge link to the chain. And we're going to add a couple more links to the chain. 
and we're going to be ready to go when it's time to play. And I know we just got a lot of work to do, and we got to believe in one another. We got to have each other back. And when we get on that field, we just got to fight for one another. This guy's really confident, not cocky. You feel, <laughs> you feel like you know he's the guy that can step in that, and, and even as a rookie, and make a difference more than any player they've had in a long time, Roy. Yeah, I do. Be, I do believe that. I mean, uh, I'll just compare him last year to Vita Vea. Uh, we kind of all wondered, you know, what, why why are we taking a taking a, a three four, you know, nose tackle uh, with the first round pick? Uh, I know you need pass rushers, but you know it's going to be hard for this guy to really you know, fit into the scheme. And it did. It took him most of the season to get A, get healthy, and then B, figure out the scheme well enough that he was able to make an impact uh, while getting some uh, some snaps. That's not the case with with uh, Devin White. Devin White fits in day one, um, makes an impact day one. Um, the ceiling's high for him, and the expectations are high. Uh, it's quite possible he, he may not play up to the high expectations, but at the end of the day, um, he's going to be one heck of a good football player. Uh, he's the best linebacker the Bucks have drafted since Derek Brooks. And, um, I, you know, I think he'll probably end up being the best linebacker they've had since Derek Brooks. That's hard to argue against that. Before we hit more likely, let's talk with Devin White, my one-on-one, about uh, who he looked up to growing up. I love his answer here. Growing up in Spring Hill, Louisiana, Northern Louisiana, your younger brother was actually a Bucks fan. But what was Devin White growing up? Well, Devin White was a Tom Brady fan. Really? I, I watched the Saints, but I was living five hours away, you know, North Louisiana. We was, I was never able to get to a game until I started going to LSU. But I never had a favorite team. It was always just LSU. And I always watched Tom Brady because I knew he used to win rings. He used to hold the Lombardi trophies, which was my ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. So I watched him. I watched the way he carried himself. I watched the way he put in work. I watched how he took care of his body. And I just really respected him for that. And now I'm in the league. Now I know I got to keep doing those same thing. And I'm ready to, you know, be a winner as well. So Devin White, we keep hearing this. He checks all the boxes. He really does. I mean, he's a great player. He's a leader. And I love the Tom Brady angle when you ask him who he looked up to. And the kid grew up in Louisiana. He didn't say the Saints. His younger brother was a Bucks fan. Didn't say the Bucks. He said Tom Brady. If I'm a head coach, I like that answer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you said the kid's just oozing confidence, and he is. He he knows he's going to play at a high level in this league, and uh, he absolutely is. I'm excited to watch him play. I I think he makes the Buccaneers' defense better just by stepping on the field. And uh, you can't say that about a lot of guys, but this guy for sure, you can say it about. You know, Rob, we look at this rookie class. The sixth pick was the first offensive rookie taken on in this draft. Scott Miller, wide receiver, Bowling Green. Uh, you have some interest in him, don't you? I do. I, I like the pick. Um, and one thing, I think a lot of fans are under the belief that Scott Miller is going to step in as Adam Humphrey's uh, replacement as a slot receiver. That's not, the, that's not the game plan. The game plan, guys, is for Chris Godwin to move into the slot. Scott Miller is going to be an outside receiver. They're going to take advantage of of his speed. This is a guy who has run 428, 4340s uh, at pro days and, and the combine. This kid can can burn. So uh, he's going to be an outside receiver. Uh, I know as soon as he was taken, everybody thought that uh, this kid was going to be the replacement for Adam Humphreys. That's not the case. Uh, talking to people on the inside at One Buccaneer Place, um, he, he is going to work on the outside as a compliment to Mike Evans. And that's going to allow Chris Godwin to move into the slots. Chris Godwin is your new slot receiver. That's why, and that was, that plan was there all along. That's why the Buccaneers didn't feel that bad about losing Adam Humphreys because 
he wasn't the guy they had to replace necessarily. They've got that replacement, they think, in Chris Godwin. Which, again, you know what? Just kind of goes back and shows you when Chris Godwin was was drafted, you know, the, the, the plan at that time was for him to be a slot receiver. Well, Adam Humphreys kind of just forced him to the outside because Chris Godwin they always saw as – his best spot is going to be slot receiver. He just kind of had to wait for that spot to open up. Now it has, and he'll fill it. Let's see if he fills it as well as Adam Humphreys. Uh, you know, that may not happen, but it's good to know that Chris Godwin can go back outside if he can't fill it. But that was, that's what he was primarily drafted for, and now Scott Miller was drafted uh, as an outside uh, receiver. So uh, I, I really like the receiving core. And, again, the way the Bucs handle this draft in terms of what happens on offense – just kind of backs up what we saw last year. I mean, the offense didn't have – it wasn't the offense's fault that this team went 5-11. and 11. This team went 5-11 and 11 because it had the worst defense in the history of the NFL. Okay? Uh, the offense was pretty darn good and uh, a record-setting offense. And um, there's plenty of talent there. As Bruce Arians said, you're not going to st- step into too many huddles uh, as a quarterback like Jameis Winston be surrounded by that much talent. Granted, the offensive line needs to play better. This team wasn't hurting that much on offense. That's why they didn't do a whole lot with it in this draft. They need to fix the defense, uh, and that's where the focus was. Devin White looks to be a big-time player for the Bucs, but we're not done. Justin, you know what time it is. More likely, baby, three hypotheticals surrounding the Bucks, football, and a little pop culture. We're going to let Justin Thomas go first because sometimes he reads off a Roy Cummings paper. But our first question, more likely, who's your better bounce-back Jason Light draft pick, Noah Spence or Vernon Hargraves? Can I cheat off a of Roy for this one? <laughs> oh, you can let Roy go first. No, okay. just, um, you have tough questions every once in a while. Yeah, not not often. Uh, Noah Spence and Vernon Hargraves, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. I would like for Vernon Hargraves to bounce back. I think he has a lot of talent. So would Jason Light. <laughs> so uh, I think of the two, I'll go with Vernon. Roy, what do you think? Yeah. I, look, I want to see him both bounce back. Um, for their sake, Buccaneers' sake, Jason Light's sake, Bucks fans' sake, the whole bit. Um, and I think they can, and I think they will. Uh, I think the one who has the better bounce back um, will actually be Noah Spence. And here's why. I said it before during the podcast. Noah Spence came out of college where he played primarily, I mean, this is what he's built for, as a stand-up rush outside linebacker. Um, that's what he's going to – that's the role he'll play in this new scheme uh, under Bruce Arians. Uh, I think he's um, – I think he's figured some things out. And by the way, you know, we've, we've seen flashes of brilliance uh, from Noah Spence. You know, he had five and a half sacks that first year, had a few sacks last year. He, he has a, a knack for getting to the quarterback. Um, I, I think he'd probably get there a heck of a lot more often if they just put him on the field more. So, uh, you know, even if he's just a specialist. But um, I sure want to see that guy on the field on third and long all the time. And uh, I, I think he'll have the better bounce back in terms of stats and things like that. Um, but I, I, I think both I think both players bounce back pretty well. Well, you've been talking about scheme the whole podcast, and the scheme really aligns better in this Todd Bowles 3-4 for Vernon Hargraves and 
Noah Spence. And I tell you what, if both those guys bounce back, the biggest bounce back would be from Jason Light because the Bucks have a winning season and both those draft picks bounce back. That's good for him. I think it's Vernon Hargraves. I think you saw even against the Saints in that opener last year, he looked like a different player. Then he had that injury. I think he's better than he's played the first couple of years. We've seen flashes of it in the preseason. The fact that he can do press coverage now and be more comfortable in defense, I think Hargraves, but it'll be fun to watch Noah Spence. All right. Our second more likely, Sebastian Janikowski has retired. 19 years, the 17th overall pick by the Raiders. How about you know all the craziness of the Raiders? Back in that draft, they had Shane Leckler and Sebastian Janikowski. Both guys turned out to be all-timers for that franchise. He made $53 million, guys, the most of any kicker. And the remarkable thing, now Tom Brady is the last guy left in that draft class. He and Sebastian were kind of having a staring contest. More likely, is Sebastian Janikowski a Hall of Famer? Justin? Um, you know, I was looking at his stats earlier today. That's a really tough question. I don't see why not. I mean, he played 19 years. That's pretty long. He has pretty good uh, percentage records for both kicks and uh, point after. Obviously, I don't think he would be a first, you know, ballot uh, Hall of Famer, but I could see eventually him potentially getting in. Roy, it turned out a little better for uh, Janikowski than his other buddy at Florida State of Guayo, but what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You know what? I'm going to say no. Um, It's really hard for kickers to make it um, in the Hall of Fame, and Janikowski was special. Um, You know, I think when you – to me, when you talk about the Hall of Fame, I think you talk about, you know, did a pl- how did a player impact the game? Did he change the game? Um, can you write the history of the game without him? Not so sure you can. I think you can probably do that without Sebastian Janikowski. Um, you can't write the history of the Raiders without him, but you can write the history of the NFL without him. Um, he was a great player, but I don't think he was Hall of Fame caliber. I think he falls just a little short. And my guess is that by the time he has an opportunity to, to really make it, I don't think he's going to be a you know five years from now. I think it's going to take him 10, 15 years to really get in the get get in the room and and be talked up enough. Uh, by then, my guess is that most of the people that saw him play uh, won't be making that won't be voting at that point, and he probably misses. I agree with you. The problem with Sebastian Janikowski, he hasn't had that Adam Vinatieri moment or moments in the postseason. He said it still hurts that they lost to the Bucks in that Super Bowl. And, you know, he was only an all-pro once. So I don't think – and it goes back to kickers. I mean, Morton Anderson took a while for him to get in the Hall of Fame. He never had that postseason moment. Of course, he played with some bad teams. But Morton Anderson had more points, and he had all the stats. So he had that going for him. I think Vinatieri will definitely get in. It'll be interesting to see if Vinatieri is a first-bout Hall of Famer. But Janikowski, I think what hurts him is the postseason. And also, he played in the same era as Vinatieri. It's so hard to give two kickers in one era uh, a spot in the Hall of Fame. But – Benetari will be interesting to see how fast he gets in down the road. Okay, let's have some fun. Uh, last more likely, boy, uh, <laughs> Phil Collins got beat up last week pretty good. You know, Elton John just demolished Phil Collins. This time around, we're going to bring back uh, more likely, who would you like to see in concert if you had a free ticket and you could walk across the street? More likely, Peter Gabriel or Huey Lewis? Justin. Oh, I'm more familiar with Peter Gabriel's work. Um, obviously, Huey Lewis did the the Back to the Future soundtrack, which is great. But I'm not too familiar with uh, most of their songs outside of 
that movie. So Hard Rock and Roll. No, I mean I, I know some of them. I'm just more familiar with Peter Gabriel. I really like Peter. That's your guy. That's your guy, Peter Gabriel. I wouldn't say he's my guy, but I do really like him, and I will defend him. Unlike uh, Roy, who apparently thinks he's <laughs> not worth it. So I will go with Peter Gabriel. I can't wait to hear Roy here because he doesn't like Peter Gabriel, but I don't know how much he likes Huey Lewis either. So more likely, what do you think, Roy? For the three, and you know, maybe it was four, but I didn't. I can't remember the fourth. But for the three songs that uh, you know actually were hits, uh, if I'm going for free, I'll, I'll go see Huey Lewis in the news. Okay, <laughs> you um, said <sound> thrill. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. I, look, look I, you know, Huey Lewis, not special. Um, you know, a couple of good songs. Uh, talk about Hall of Fame. I, I don't think he gets there. And Peter Gabriel, I don't know, Peter Gabriel in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Doesn't, all you have to do is cut a record. If the three of us cut a record, we get in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. At some point. Um, but, you know, I, I would not go see Peter Gabriel out of fear that they would show that stupid claymation sledgehammer oh. video when he played that stupid song. So, How, Why don't you like that video? That's such a great video. Yeah, just just can't handle it, man. Just can't do it. <laughs> we got to find a gift and send that to Roy constantly every day. I'll play Huey Lewis and his fist pump, um, you know, which he – which, by the way, if you, if you watch any Huey Lewis in the news uh, uh, videos from back in the MTV days – Always had this kind of backwards little fist pump, this yeah fist pump thing going on, you know. <laughs> always had the little fist bump thing going. So um, I'll go see Huey Lewis in the fist bump as opposed to the claymation. Do you do you like anyone from the eighties? I'm noticing a trend that. I, yeah. Um, yes, I do. Uh, I really do. Um, Who I want to know because you seem to be down on a lot of eighties. Justice turning the tables quickly, Roy. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, hey, look, I liked uh, Flock of Michael Seagulls. Jackson. They had a they had a great song, right? Who was that? I'm sorry, Flock of Seagulls. They had a great song, right? Oh, there you um, go. wow! Yeah, uh, there, there, there's, there's. I look, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, I suppose I could look through my iPhone and 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 look at all the you know the songs I got here from the '80s. But there, there were there were there were definitely bands from the '80s that I liked. I don't think you're a Prince guy or a Bowie guy, are you? Probably not. No, I. I Look, wow. I'll tell you what, though. I was at the Prince press conference for the, the Super Bowl, and it was the best, well, next to Paul McCartney. It was the, which all, all Paul McCartney had to do was show up. You know, he didn't have to <laughs> say a word. That was the best press conference ever. But, um, but I mean, he, he sang. Prince never said a word. He just sang, which was great. Um, Bowie, you know, look, I think Bowie was more of a – more, more for more for the women. Yeah, I, 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 I like you know some of his stuff, but I was never a. I, I can't tell you the whole catalog. You know, I, I just knew the hits and stuff. But uh, right. look, there's a lot of stuff I like from the '80s. It really is. Uh, Did you like Mister Mister? Yeah, I remember, they were they were okay. I mean, you know, San <laughs> Antonio. There's no one we, from we the got '80s. Through the '80s, you know, we kind of got through the '80s. It's a. It's been forgotten. Is that what you're saying? You you've well, looked past. I, look, I, I think almost anybody in the 80s was just about kind of trying to get us out of the 70s and into the 90s, okay? I mean, there, there, there's a bridge there, and, and you know, we kind of – you know, that, that was it. I mean, it, it, was, it was just okay. It wasn't – I'm going to buy Roy an MTV calendar for uh, Christmas. <laughs> Seriously. <this year. laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen, we've gone uh, – 
a long time, I think, longer on Flock of Singles than Flock of Seagulls. Flock of Seagulls than uh, Devin White in this podcast. Did but you, hey, did you pick yours, Mike? I don't think you said who you would pick. Oh, I didn't. I didn't no, pick didn't. mine. I was so enthralled with Roy's. I, I, you know what? I like Huey Lewis. I don't have a problem with Huey Lewis. I don't have a problem with Peter Gabriel. In fact, I'm a huge 80s guy. Like I love a lot of the one-hit wonders. I love Prince, Michael Jackson. I'm pretty well-rounded with music, but... You know, I, I I didn't like the '90s too much, but I really liked the '80s. I thought the '80s was great. Maybe it's just because that's when you know high school, college. That's what you kind of remember when you hear songs and stuff. But I think I'd pick Huey Lewis over Peter Gabriel if I had to walk across the street. Wow, that's just me. That's just me. Well, listen, you can catch uh, you know Huey Lewis and Prince and Flock of Seagulls and Peter Gabriel and Elton John on uh, all the platforms we're on as well: Spotify, Stitcher, Google iTunes, Podbean. We're getting bigger every week. We appreciate you subscribing. Check out PeterPyrus.com for our full one-on-one interview with Devin White. Roy Cummings and I break down the Devin White selection. We'll be with you at OTAs and minicamp and throughout the Buccaneer offseason. For Justin Thomas, our producer, and big 80s music fan Roy Cummings, I am Mike Neighbors. We'll talk to you next week.